Hello and welcome to the latest edition of the Square Mile podcast, hosted by me, Jock Glover, Strategic Relationships Director here at Square Mile. The global backdrop over the last few weeks has been almost the perfect storm for markets, with rising inflation, rising interest rates, weak supply chains, increasing demand for goods, increasing taxation here in the UK, rising energy prices, and of course, the dreadful situation in the Ukraine. Combine that with a savage rotation within styles, and you have one of the toughest market backdrops we've seen in a long time over the last quarter. Given time limitations, today we're only going to talk about uh, the impact of rising inflations and whether we should expect a recession imminently, uh, along with the improving durability of dividends that uh, we're seeing in global equities. In order to make more sense of these topics than I could on my own, I am joined by a, a very illustrious selection of square mile analysts, our head of quants and therefore master of all things numerical and statistical, Tom Poulter, who will give us a brief overview of what's been going on in the markets over the last quarter, senior investment consultant and global equity income analyst, Jake Muller, who will tell us what the global equity income managers are seeing at the moment, senior investment analyst and fixed income guru, Paul Angel, who will be unpicking what the bond managers have been thinking, are thinking regarding inflation and interest rates. And finally, and he might argue saving the best to last, Alex Farlow, head of risk-based solutions, who will help distill the views of the multi-asset community in light of everything else we'll be hearing today. So, Tom, let's start with you. If you could set the scene a bit, what's been going on with the asset classes by region, by style, etc.? Yeah, thanks, Jock. So Q1 2022, we saw real divergence in equity markets. Um, so UK equities were actually up 0.5% over the quarter, but UK smaller companies were down 11.4%. And for obvious reasons, Europe was one of the most impacted regions and was down 7.4%. Unfortunately, fixed income markets were unable to provide any protection from the equity market falls. As UK government bonds were down 7.2%, and sterling corporate bonds were down 6.6%. There was also a real divergence in styles. Global growth was down 7%, but global value was actually up 2.2%. January was the real key month for divergence. In the IA global sector, there was a 44.1% difference between the highest and lowest returning fund. And this is the fifth largest monthly difference since December 1999. In currencies terms, sterling generally weakened against most major indices, except the Japanese yen. With regards to Japan, CPI in Japan still remains low at 0.9%. I know the team will be discussing this later, but for context, CPI currently in the UK stands at over 6%, while in the US it's just shy of 8%. And this is a considerable jump from last year, as in the UK it was only 0.4%, and the US it was one7 Finally, a two-year treasury at the end of March was yielding 2%, while a 10-year treasury was yielding 1.6%. So in layman terms, imagine going down to your local bank or building society, and you're currently being offered a better, better annual rate for locking away your money for two years compared to 10 years. And this is the one key sign, one of the key signs that economists use to predict a recession. Okay, Tom, thank you for for that sort of background. And, and I have to say, it didn't sound particularly cheery. We've got raging inflation, talk of potential re uh, recession with the, the 10 year bond uh, yielding slightly less than the two year. Paul, perhaps we should go over to you and, and hear what you've got to say about it with inflation surging to six to 8% and government starting to raise interest rates. What are the bond managers that you're talking to uh, saying and what are they thinking? Yeah, thanks, Jock. 
I mean, the first thing probably to say is that the debate around structural uh, versus transitory seems to have died a death in terms of inflation, um, which um, listeners may remember was kind of a, a common debate over the last six six months or so as inflation has, has surged higher with but I think the um, the war in Ukraine kind of being the turning point in terms of embedding people's expectations of inflation, higher inflation for longer, and of course, pushing up inflation even higher in the near term. So, so that debate has kind of been parked. And now the question is really about, well, how do we, how do bond managers manage within a high inflation environment? And what we're seeing as always with our bond managers is, is a spread of views. Now, the first view and perhaps, you know, the most textbook, if you like, is that high inflation leads to higher interest rates and higher interest rates is bad for duration. Therefore, bond managers are reducing duration, keeping their exposure to interest rate risk. So the risk of interest rates moving higher, low, so that the losses that they have as interest rates move higher um, is minimised. And then on the other side of the investment view is that, well, actually, the inflation is not moving higher because of a strong economy. Um, so actually, central banks shouldn't be looking to raise interest rates to, to essentially choke off any growth that the economy might have. Um, actually, central banks should be reducing interest rates, regardless of the inflation picture. And so we have other managers like our um, A-rated managers at Allianz who are, who are actually increasing duration at this time, holding a lot of duration because they think that in the near term, we could actually see um, central banks moving down interest rate expectations rather than continuing to move them higher, as was, was the kind of view in the first example that, that I shared. And I think Tom's, Tom's point setting the scene was, was really helpful in terms of the inversion of the yield curve. Um, our, our managers at Artemis, um, Artemis Corporate Bond, Stephen Snowden, very well-known manager in the UK, makes a similar point. He says that the short end of the, of the bond curve is, is overpriced up at 2%. Um, he can't see the UK government or, or Bank of England, really, the Bank of England raising interest rates to 2% in that period of time. But actually, it's the long end of the curve that's vulnerable to, to steepen quite significantly um, as, as the inflation kind of moves through. So lots of different ways that managers are, are kind of seeing this inflation scenario play out within interest rates and therefore lots of different ways that they're positioning their funds from a duration perspective accordingly. And just on the subject of, of that diversity of opinion there, if you were to try and take all of the different managers you talk to and leave us with a sense of which side of the scale are we on? Are we on higher interest rates because of higher inflation? Overall, or we keep the interest rates lower despite the inflation because the economy is looking fragile. Is there a sense within your managers of which side of that fence they're on on average, or is it very split across both views? I think it's pretty well split, Jock, to be honest. And and a lot of it's kind of to do with the with the mandate, the investment mandate of the fund and, and kind of their approach to managing money. So we have some fixed income investors who we group in a in a duration camp so a, a camp of investors who who will have meaningful duration risk at, at all times now these are the, the kind of guys that we expect at the moment are probably weighing up the balance of risk and on on the whole they're opting for their kind of structural duration bent if you like in in the way that they manage money which has served them very well for the last 10 years or so um, and then we have other managers that 
um, have lower levels of risk overall. And therefore, taking a big duration punt at this moment will kind of be a bit out of keeping with, with kind of how they've been structured to, to perform over time with kind of a, a lower volatility performance profile through time. So, so it's difficult to kind of answer that. We're seeing managers, as always, we like to see our managers behave within um, the expectations that we have for them and, and kind of set as we brought them into the academy. But then, yeah, there's, there's a variety of views and, and it's difficult to say whether they fall on one side or the other because we must remember as well, they're, they're falling on one side or the other of expectations of interest rates rather than current interest rates right now. So everyone's of the view that interest rates are rising, but has the market overpriced that chance or, or underpriced that chance? So, so, so before you put your money into a fixed income fund, it's really important to make sure your views and your, the manager's views are aligned or you're going to go for a diverse spread across different managers to to make sure that you're not caught by one side or the other depending on how you feel about it exactly right so what we do within our model portfolios at square mile is that we blend the managers and their and what we know to be their structural approach to um, duration and different types of risks within the fixed income market so that through the cycle our, our conviction in the underlying managers and their um, active approach to, to fund management should shine through regardless of whether or not we see interest rates rise or fall and the kind of big duration bets in the portfolios come off. Um, we, we try to, to blend our managers accordingly to, to take out some of that duration um, overweight or underweight. That might be a good point to ask Jake uh, what he's hearing from global equity income managers, because as a, as a background, that all feels quite negative and, you know, Economy's looking like looks like it's teetering a bit. Interest rates going up. That wouldn't be great. Inflation's going to cause trouble unless you can pass on your costs. What, what are you hearing from your global equity income managers, Jake? Hi, Jock. It's really important, I think, to recognize that not all companies are influenced unduly by macroeconomic events. Certainly some are cyclical stocks, for example, like airlines, uh, restaurants, auto manufacturers, that sort of thing are often influenced by macro events and contractions in demand, but not all companies are. A lot of the fund managers that I've been speaking with on the global equity income side have been investing in companies that have really been strengthening their balance sheets pretty much since the global financial crisis, you know, in 2008-2009. And um, as a result of that, a lot of the companies have fared a lot better than expected you've seen record low levels of low leverage. So companies aren't borrowing as much, even though they could because of the low interest rates, you know, that's making them a little bit um, more resilient to the headwinds provided by the macroeconomy and geopolitical events. So what we saw initially after the big COVID crisis, uh, you know, we go back to 2020, February, things were going reasonably well. Uh, and then all of a sudden COVID sort of impacts those cyclical companies did take a bit of a hit. Now, a lot of uh, the, the fund managers that are in the global equity income sector have got a value bias, and Tom's already referred to the resilience of late of the value fund managers. Uh, in instances such as that, the value bias of a fund can actually help you. So a lot of these more defensive companies held up okay. The cuts in dividends were as a result of concern and fear by CEOs, really. So in some instances, knee-jerk reaction almost of CEOs wanting to protect uh, capital flows. Uh, as a result of that, they cut their dividends. Now, it's unusual to cut a dividend. You don't want to do that because your share price will drop and you, you unsettle investors who are investing in you, such as pensioners for, for your regular income. 
um, but they felt that they had to do it. Now, there were some instances where financial banks, for example, had to cut their dividends because they were told to by the government. Uh, a lot of global equity income fund managers have traditionally invested in banks, but not all of them. Some of the fund managers that we have on our academy aren't overweight banks, preferring insurers, for example. So they actually held up relatively okay. Other companies withheld dividends because um, they were concerned about the employees. I think TK Maxx is a case in point where it kept aside some of its dividend um, payment capital for the protection of employees. And of course, some companies cut their dividends by a little bit, um, not quite knowing how it would pan out. So some of the fund groups that are on our academy, for example, had some exposure to the dividends that were cut. Some uh, had less exposure. Uh, Artemis Global Income in 2020 cut its dividend very, very small, um, 3.1p. Uh, in 2021, it's cut slightly lower to 2.6. And they think in 2022, they'll be in a position to increase that again as things normalized. And what we've seen is as companies have held on to this capital, as things have normalized, they've been in a great situation where they've actually had a surplus of uh, cash flow and, and cash and they've had to pay it back uh, with special dividends. So, so some of the fund managers that we've uh, got exposure to have actually benefited from these special dividends that have come through. You know, they're one-off things. You don't expect that to happen too often. But there is some good news, you know, there is some good news with these companies, one, uh, that have a value bias and slightly better quality bias and slightly more defensive in an environment which you've got COVID and, and Ukraine and geopolitics uh, rearing th their head. Uh, and also you've got the discipline of paying dividends and building up a good balance sheet, which many companies have had since the global financial crisis. Have the, um, the, the, the managers uh, been changing some of their sector positioning in light of the, the more inflationary environment and, you know, trying to find companies that can pass those costs through to their, uh, their customers, their own consumers? And do you think there'll be more of that going forward? Or, or do you think that uh, the managers that you're talking to uh, are pretty comfortable with how they're positioned at the moment relative to what's going on from a macro perspective? Great question, Jock. Certainly, um, I think the supply chain issue that you mentioned at, at the start of this uh, podcast it is, is relevant. You know, uh, some fund managers have decided to tilt their exposures up the supply chain, right, to avoid those sorts of inflationary costs. Two, two points on that. One is if the consumer contraction, for example, um, stops you buying trainers, you can still um, do well out of a company that sells rubber to that, that trainer company. So some fund managers are tilting their exposures rather than buying Nike, for example, will be investing in a rubber company that supplies to Nike because the pricing power of the upstream supplier is more resilient in, in both inflation returns and also uh, consumer demand. Uh, the second is that they're taking on less cyclical exposure. So a lot of global equity income fund managers have actually bought into a little bit of cyclicality as that as that sold off and became cheaper but not too much um, they really are looking for the quality exposure so uh, low leverage uh, low, low levels of debt issuance and, and making sure that they have less exposure to the vagaries of the, the consumer so uh, a few other fund managers have changed the composition of their portfolio slightly from a regional perspective so where they think that the European consumer, for example, might come under pressure as a result of, certainly as a result of some of the disruptions caused by the Ukraine event, um, are, are investing instead to similar companies or similar 
corporate exposures in the US where the consumers thought is going to be more resilient to inflationary pressures and geopolitical pressures as well. So you are starting to see those tilts to different regions, different supply chain exposures uh, and uh, increasingly less cyclical exposure and um, uh, less leverage. Alex, you speak to lots of managers who are trying to juggle all of these factors across all of different asset classes and whether it's fixed income, whether it's equities, whether it's alternatives. How, do, how are you uh, or what are you hearing from them in terms of their positioning and their thoughts? Yeah, thanks, Jock. I mean, I guess the, the, the overriding narrative um, at the moment in the multi-asset world is one of uncertainty. Um, and we know markets don't like uncertainty. So as Paul, was, Paul said, it's a mixed bag of funds that we rate in, in terms of styles and what they're trying to achieve. But on the whole, I would say that there's been a, a reduction in risk across the board, given that, that uncertainty. Um, and that's manifested itself in, in a number of ways. Um, you know, I guess the obvious way is, is a reduction in, in equity exposure, but we've also seen a reduction in, in equity beta as well. Um, and as Jake's alluded to, that um, probably maybe slightly different. I know he looks at equity income, but there's been a shift away from more cyclical sensitive companies into more growthier companies. And that's a consequence of, of A, I guess, that they're seen as being more defensive and, and B, the fact that, as Tom said, they, they, they took a bit of a hit in, in the first month in January and then the first quarter of this year. So, so a bit of bargain hunting there for, for, for some of the equity sectors where they think that uh, those, those areas that sold off sharply at the start of the year have been overdone. Yeah, I think so. I, I think so. I mean, you know, no one, well, no one, um, there's been very few managers that we've covered that have really changed tact. Um, BMY Mellon on, on their real return fund, which is a very dynamically managed portfolio, um, they've reduced their equity exposure a bit more because they felt this year was going to be quite a good year um, for equity returns. And, and obviously, um, with the conflict in, in the Ukraine, um, you know, that, that's been difficult and they've reassessed that, that situation. Um, but on the whole, we, we, we've seen um, a bit of topping and a bit of tailing, but, but not significant changes um, with, with any of the portfolios, to be perfectly honest. I think people are waiting to see what news throw comes through before, um, before they, they, they do make any radical changes. I, I guess, you know, going into, into this year, many people felt that there was quite a bit of certainty in terms of whether it was good or bad, that interest rates were, were going up. But clearly, um, as Paul's alluded to, everyone thinks inflation is going to be um, higher now for longer, although no one's actually um, been brave enough to predict how long it, it, it will be higher for longer for. So I think people are waiting for the news flow to come through um, before they make any radical changes. I, I mean, the higher for longer argument obviously stands as long as the, the input costs and the you know energy costs keep going up. But inflation's a, a number that is comparing month on month effectively so there's the risk that we're in a situation where everything is going to go up in price wise inflation is high at the moment and then it'll just stick there inflation will look like it's tailed off but actually all of those input costs and those energy costs will remain high jake maybe you're the man to speak to initially about that from a from an equities perspective um how does that impact how your guys start thinking about things and paying their ability to pay dividends and stuff well, the um, part of the answer to that, Jock, is to try and invest in some of the areas, sectors that don't have 
huge input costs. So for example, what we've seen, some of the global equity income managers I've been speaking to are looking at banks very closely again. Banks have been unloved for a while. They have been trading at cheap multiples. And the great thing about a bank though, is it doesn't have a huge reliance on input costs because banks have been cutting the staff for quite a long time. Uh, they've been increasing their usage of technology. So to some extent, banks are slightly more immune to inflation than other stocks that have large amounts of energy costs, large amount of labor costs, uh, and large amounts of costs that are subject to inflationary forces. So what we are seeing is, is that as a potential beneficiary to um, operating in a high inflationary environment. Uh, and that will um, allow these companies to maintain their margins and to be able to keep their free cash flow up and in turn, uh, pay dividends. So, so those are sort of areas that, that are becoming slightly more popular now uh, in the high inflationary environment. We haven't touched on the impact of all this on some of the more alternative asset classes. Uh, and I suppose, Alex, you're probably best positioned to, to start this. Um, you know, for, for things that aren't just traditional fixed income and equities, uh, does that increase people's interest in it? You know, infrastructure and that sort of thing is a, a, a play against inflation? I think so. And, and you know, to, to Jake's point in terms of what managers have been doing in terms of, you know, defending the portfolios against um, higher inflation, a number of managers are saying that, you know, their equities will, will, will do that job. And we have seen quite a bit of gold in the portfolio, um, which was used in, in, in 2020 to quite good effect. And, and we've seen gold levels be increased um, within portfolios. In terms of there is a number of multi-asset income products that we have, um, which tend to have some inflation-linked um, assets in there, and, and, um, and infrastructure is certainly one of those. We're also seeing um, an increase in property from some of our managers. Um, this is more in, in the, um, the, the listed property names rather than um, your, your traditional um, uh, open-ended bricks and mortar funds. As well as commodities, we're seeing um, coming into the into that um, sort of softer softer commodities coming in, as well as the metals as well, um, not just the precious ones. So we are seeing a number of different areas, but I can't say that we're seeing a significant shift across um, asset classes at, at this point in time. Something to keep an eye on. Absolutely, Paul. Is there anything else that you know you've heard over the course of the last 10, 15 minutes from the others, which? lead you to want to say something about the fixed income and the positioning well i mean we we do hear you know similar similar comments around um one of the businesses with lower input costs and and where um, companies are able to pass through inflation i mean it's, it's obviously a very different picture on on the debt side than on the equity side because actually on the debt side you're inflating away your existing debt so you know cynically speaking some corporates um, at least from the from the debt side of their balance sheet might welcome um, higher inflation so yeah, I suppose I suppose the interest rate comments made earlier are kind of the, the more pertinent piece on at least on when, when looking at a strategic bond fund um, and then it's in the kind of credit the credit funds where they'd be looking more at the underlying companies and and thinking who's who's best positioned to um, thrive and who's who's in most danger of not so so yeah that, that would be all i added on that excellent um i don't know if anyone's got anything else they want to add to that we, we've probably covered quite a lot of ground there and there's quite a lot to digest oh alex go, go on I've, I've just got a couple of points to finish on really 
Chuck, which I probably should have raised before. I guess, as, as Jake's alluded to, uh, I guess with the exception of, of our value managers, um, we're seeing a, a preference for US equities over um, Europe um, and the UK within the multi-asset side of things. That's based on the fact that their economy appears to remain strong. Um, they're pretty sufficient, self-sufficient in energy, pretty well insulated from the Ukraine. And we've heard a number of our managers talking about um, potential recession um, in Europe and the UK um, this year. And another interesting, I guess, observation that, that, that we've seen much more recently is for the first time in a number of years, we've seen some of our managers buying back into bonds, um, government bonds. Um, Tom, Tom gave us the stats at, at, the, at the top of the show. But, you know, the US 10-year yield now is yielding 2.7%. And in the UK, it's 1.8%. Um, so some managers feel that that's a, a decent entry point. You know, and if we do get volatile markets, then, the, you know, there's some potential protection in there, which I think is, is quite telling. Brilliant. Okay, so I'm going to try and summarise very quickly what we've talked about in the last 20 minutes or so. Um, and I would say it looks like it has been, and it probably looks like it will continue to be a fairly tricky time in markets, whether you're invested in fixed income equities or any other asset class. Fixed income managers, uh, inflation certainly now seems to be more structural than transitory, um, but the managers there still have fairly diverse views on whether rates are going to carry on rising or whether they will be held back if the economy starts to falter versus the higher inflation argument. Global equity income managers are fairly positive on the improving outlook for paying dividends or doing share buybacks um, as companies' balance sheets have become more resilient and, and the, the managers are looking for less cyclical opportunities in a raising right environment or for those companies that can pass on costs or are less impacted uh, by the inflationary environment. And then multi-asset some uh, managers are starting to shift slightly to less cyclical areas or towards US equities, um, uh, and some have even started to buy back into government bonds, but most are still broadly in a wait and see how this pans out before changing their portfolio significantly from where they are at the moment. Uh, so I think all that remains is for me to thank our analysts, Tom Poulter, Paul Angel, Jake Muller, and Alex Farlow, for their time, their thoughts and insights today, and you, the listeners, for your support. If you have any questions that we haven't covered and you would like us to answer, please do get in contact with Square Mile, either through our webpage, which is www.squaremileresearch.com, or by emailing us at info at squaremileresearch.com. Thank you very much indeed for listening and uh, look out for future podcasts from Square Mile. This podcast was recorded on the 11th of April 2022. This podcast is only aimed at professional advisors and regulated firms and should not be passed on to or relied upon by any other persons. It is not intended for retail investors who should obtain professional or specialist advice before taking or refraining from any action on the basis of this podcast. Remembering past performance is not an indication of future performance. It is published by and remains the copyright of Square Mart Investment Consulting and Research. Squaremile makes no warranties or representations regarding the accuracy or completeness of the information contained herein. This podcast represents the views and forecasts of Squaremile at the date of issue and may be subject to change without reference or notification to you. Nothing in this podcast shall be deemed to constitute a regulated activity or an invitation or inducement to engage in investment activity, and it is not a recommendation to buy or sell any funds or investments that are mentioned during this podcast. Thank you.